Support comes from Clipper Vacations, offering getaways on the Clipper Fast Ferry to Victoria, B.C. Clipper Ferry and hotel packages from $250 per person. Enjoy historic charm, afternoon tea, and more. Terms and conditions apply. Details and booking at clippervacations.com. Happy Monday. You're listening to Soundside. I'm Diana Pong in for Libby Denkman. Teachers at an elementary school in Snohomish County say a gravel yard next to their school is disrupting classes and is a health hazard to students. Mountain Loop Mines started using the lot last year, and teachers at Fairmount Elementary say they're now forced to leave the windows closed or use homemade air filtration systems in classrooms. Teachers spoke to a newspaper about the issue. Then came a cease and desist letter from the gravel yard's lawyers. Daniel Beekman covers politics and communities for the Seattle Times. He wrote about the gravel yard and its threat of legal action. Hi, Daniel. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me on. So this story starts with a gravel yard next to Fairmount Elementary, which is in the Muckleteal School District. It's located in unincorporated Snohomish County. What problems does the school say the gravel yard is causing? Sure. So the I spoke, uh, went and visited this school a few weeks ago and spoke with a number of teachers. And they said the most sort of constant or regular issue that they've encountered is the, the noise from the gravel yard. So it's located 50 feet or less from the south wing of the elementary school building and even closer probably to some portables into the asphalt playground. And they say there's sort of a constant rumbling of trucks in and out and through the yard uh, and construction vehicles there, but also intermittent banging from the vehicles as they load and unload loads into the trucks to Uh, this gravel and sand and dirt. So there's the noise factor, which they said can be really loud and disruptive to their classes. And then they also say that the dust and diesel fumes from the yard get into the air and then get into the school as well. And it's hard for them to know whether all these sort of potential symptoms that they've noticed in teachers and students are due to those things. But They've noticed more coughing, they say, than previously, uh, or than you would expect. Bloody noses, dirty or black snot, headaches, and things of that nature as well. And during the warm weather months, you know, at the very beginning and end of the school year, they say there's a problem because on a hot day, they would like to open the windows. The school is 72 years old and has no air conditioning, but... Opening the windows, they say, means uh, the dust and fumes can come in. So they keep the windows shut to, to keep that more out. And that really heats up to the classrooms to, I guess, in some cases, they told me uh, over 80 degrees. Wow. That's actually one of the things I was going to ask you, Daniel, is how teachers are dealing with these disruptions from the gravel, gravel yard. So they have to keep the windows closed, they say, in order to you know sort of keep the air clean, even when it's hot. What other things are they doing to sort of mitigate and and deal with this? One teacher I talked to, I think it was a first grade classroom, probably closest in the actual school building to this yard, told me she had recently moved their silent reading period for their class from pretty early in the morning to later in the day, almost at the end of their, their class day, because she had found that it was 
louder from the yard in the morning than in the afternoon. And so she wanted less distractions for the kids as they did silent reading. We visited a portable. Some teachers there shared with me the portable. Uh, you know, it, it's separate from the main building, so it doesn't have the same HVAC system. Mm -hmm. And they had actually set up, you know, sort of like a homemade, homemade bootleg air filtration system, you know, with a box fan and a furnace filter yeah. uh, that they just had running the entire school day. So, you know, there are things like that as well. They're They're doing the best they can with the materials that they have. What about parents? Have you heard from any parents on the impact on their students and their concerns? Well, actually, the teacher who I spoke to who changed the silent reading timing uh, is also a parent at the school. She has two kids at the school. And so she talked about being concerned for their health and them being able to focus. But I also actually, interestingly, I've written two stories on this issue. And after the most recent one last week, I heard from a parent over the weekend who said that a lot of people in the school and the district sort of weren't aware of everything that was going on, but they've been learning about it and become really concerned. Uh, she said that her son had been coming home with headaches at the end of the day over and over again. She didn't really know what was going on. And now she's wondering, is this what it is? And she, she has her suspicions that it could be. So there may be other parents in that situation as well. So Daniel, it's my understanding that the gravel yard is on a lot zoned for industrial use, a point that the manager of the gravel yard brought up when you reached out to them. When you spoke to the manager of the gravel yard, what did they say about the complaints from the school? Sure. So for the first story I wrote about this, I spoke to the manager of the yard, uh, who's also the manager of the mine that the yard services. The mine is outside of Granite Falls, so sort of up towards the mountains in Snohomish County. He pointed out that, according to the county, this use of the property is allowed under the property zoning. The zoning is actually, and I haven't gotten into the details of this and what I've written, but the zoning is called business park. Mm -hmm. And so it's for sort of like office, warehouse, light manufacturing. And according to the county, this is allowed, but it's not for sort of like heavy and in industrial use. Oh. Uh, but yeah, so the manager of the yard has said that the zoning allows this. And he's said that they are trying to mitigate the noise and the dust. He said they've been spraying down the dirt with water yep. and to try to keep it down the dust. And he said that they've put up signs telling the vehicle operators to not bang the boxes. So to not sort of bang the sides of their buckets against the walls uh, and backs of the truck to reduce the noise yeah and he he was very sort of he was skeptical that this was causing major disruptions at the school and mentioned even that well you know the the kids they like to watch the construction vehicles you know yeah, kids like do. looking at trucks yeah. so that was kind of his take on the thing you know we're not trying to you know harm anyone but you know we have a right to be here and you know we don't really think that it's having a major harmful effects. So Daniel, Snohomish County received a complaint about the yard last year. What was the county's response to this complaint? Sure. So the county received a complaint last spring around the time when folks at the school told me they started 
noticing a ramp up in activity at the site and started really contending with major disruptions to learning and teaching. And the county issued a notice of violation. I believe it's a, an illegal business violation because the gravel yard business didn't have any permits to be doing this operation there and hadn't gone through environmental reviews, anything like that. They were operating there. The only sort of permit that could possibly apply was one that the prior owner of the property, the property had changed hands a couple of years ago, that the prior owner of the property had to start maybe building some kind of a new warehouse structure. But the gravel yard didn't have permits. So the, the county issued a notice of violation and asked the gravel yard to you know do what they needed to do to apply for permits and try to come into compliance. And then has just continued to extend that period where they're waiting for the company to do their work and apply repeatedly several times, most recently to push the date out to mid-February. I think it was it's February 15th. So originally they were supposed to comply, I think, in the summer, early fall, and then they pushed that later, and then they pushed that later again, I believe. So now here we are. And what basically what the county has said is, you know, when people have asked, well, why aren't why don't you just shut down this operation? It has no permits. Plus, it's causing, according to the school, disruptions. And the county has said, well, sort of our policy uh, is before we take enforcement action, we want to see if we can bring uh, a business into compliance. So we're asking them, they're working towards applying for permits, and we want to let them do that. That's been the county's line. The school is under the flight path of Painfield. It's close to other industrial sites. Some of the teachers you spoke to brought up that it feels like the school is already subject to a lot of pollution and noise and that this gravel yard wouldn't open next to another school in the area. The school also sits on a piece of unincorporated Snohomish County wedged between Muckleteo and Everett. So any complaints that they have need to go to the county instead of a smaller jurisdiction like a city. How does the site of this school affect the school's ability to advocate for itself and its students? Yeah, that's something that that has come up, you know, and with regard to the being adjacent to Painfield and the air traffic, the teachers and the principal brought that up just to sort of say, and I'll mention that the teachers union is also uh, folks that I've talked to and they've been involved with this advocating for their teachers but they brought up the fact that hey you know it's not like we're complaining about this gravel yard because you know any little noise would bother us you know we're tough we we already have planes flying over our school all the time and it's loud from that already but this is much louder and more disruptive so they've sort of pointed out that you know hey we're not just complaining just about anything you can take us seriously uh, we already have to contend with this other noise. But yeah, because it's in unincorporated Snohomish County, there's no mayor, there's no city council to advocate to over something like this. They have to just go straight to the county. They have a county council member who represents the area and they have the county executive who's in charge of the whole county. But it's a little bit more spread out than it would be if they were in like a small city, for example. And then, you know, something that the, the principal brought up when I was at the school was, hey, we're un, un, in unincorporated Somish County. Our school serves a population of kids that is about 50% kids who are multilingual 
learners, which means they speak a language other than English at home. It's a lot of kids from immigrant and refugee families. About 70% of the kids at the school qualify for free lunch. But it, it is interesting how, you know, how it ended up. Uh, and sometimes things happen that way. Something that I noticed in your reporting, Daniel, that I thought was really interesting was that the owner of the gravel yard contacted their attorneys and their attorneys sent a cease and desist letter to the principal of the elementary school. What was in that letter? Yeah, the, an attorney for the company that operates the gravel yard sent a letter to the principal of the school saying the information that you're putting out there to public agencies, to the public, uh, in the press about what's going on at our gravel yard and how it's affecting the school is inaccurate and potentially defamatory. And we demand that you stop making complaints that are unfounded about our operation. It's interfering with our business. You know, if you don't, we may have to take, you know, every uh, available legal recourse to deal with that. So basically saying, stop complaining about our operation or we might have to sue you. Okay, so I read the cease and desist letter, and it's pretty, you know, clear what they want them to do. They don't like that their complaints are interrupting their business, as you mentioned. You spoke with some law experts about the letter. What did they say? Yeah, so I spoke with a number of attorneys and legal experts, including Hugh Spitzer, who's a professor at the University of Washington Law School, very well regarded and he said that this kind of letter was inappropriate in this situation. Why was it inappropriate, Daniel? The, I think basically what he was saying was that threatening the elementary school and its principal and teachers just wasn't the right strategy here to resolve this potential land use dispute, that it sort of went too far and wasn't appropriate for this. And I also spoke to a few attorneys who have a lot of on the ground, you know, decades of on the ground experience with land use and environmental issues to sort of ask them. One thought I had was, you know, I read the letter and to me, it seems, wow, this is, seems unusual. A cease and desist letter to an elementary school it doesn't sound to me like sort of something that you would see every day, but I didn't know, you know, so I asked these experienced land use attorneys and they said, yes, it is, it is in their experience unusual to see something like this in a land use dispute, much less with an elementary school. And they said that, for one thing, generally land use disputes, it's more effective to resolve them through less sort of combative means. And also they said that Washington state has what's called the anti-slap uh, statute or law that basically says that if you're making a public complaint to a governmental agency or, or sending information to a government agency, that you're protected from from being sued by a private party that's the subject of that complaint. That even in certain cases, if what you're telling the government agency is wrong, as long as it's an issue that is sort of under the jurisdiction of and, and is reasonable for that government agency, it's something that they would normally care about, that you're protected. And so a couple of the attorneys I spoke to brought that up and said, for that reason, it's questionable or the cease and dismiss letter to say, stop making complaints to public agencies or else because that activity is protected. 
Ah, okay, that makes sense. One of the things that they mentioned in the cease and desist letter was that the complaints were leading to disruption of their business at, because of inspections. And so is there grounds for that? If they feel like their business is being negatively impacted and they're not able to do their job, isn't that within their rights to be like, hey, please stop, you're hurting us? You know, I asked these lawyers I talked to about that and they they said that, that you know, you, at least one of them I spoke to said there's it's not like there's some cap necessarily on the number of times that you can make a complaint if it's right. a valid complaint about uh you know about a business or something else going on in your community that it's not like okay if you complain you know five times to Snohomish County or you can't complain a sixth time or something like that and that clearly in this case it's not like the county is saying that these are all frivolous they're saying hey, we're taking a look at this and we're trying to work with the with the business to address these concerns. So, yes, yeah. you know, when I talk to the lawyers, they, you know, as the, as the cease and desist letter mentions, what, what it mentions a couple of different times is is uh, whether there's defamation going on. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, Hugh Spitzer said, look, there are narrow sort of, and the other attorneys I spoke to said, there are sort of narrow exceptions to these, you know, the law that sort of protects public complaints like you can't just defame someone necessarily but defamation can be pretty hard to prove mm-hmm. uh i think hugh spitzer dr spitzer say you have to work really hard at it <laughs> to sort of be found liable for defamation yeah and it's i'm hearing you say a complaint doesn't automatically mean defamation and that complaint is protected by that washington state law correct have you heard anything from the owner of the gravel yard about the cease and desist letter or this whole situation? No, I haven't. So for the first story I read, I spoke to the manager and uh, for uh, the second story, which is about this cease and desist letter, which I got through public uh, public disclosure or public records request from the school district. Uh, I reached out to uh, the attorney who wrote the letter. There are other attorneys at that law firm, same law firm, and to the the folks who run the parent company in question, which is a company called uh, OMA Construction, based out of Maple Valley, and heard nothing. Heard nothing when I reached out when I was trying to report the story, and have heard nothing from them since the story published. What are the next steps, Daniel, for the school and district in this contentious relationship with the gravel yard? Fairly recently, folks from the school slash school district met with some folks from the county, I believe from the executive's office and or the planning and development services department and had a discussion. They had talked before, I believe, but had another discussion, had that discussion with the with the understanding that sort of the next deadline here was, I think it's February 15th, mid-February, for that the company has said that they would have various studies that they needed to have done in order to to apply for permits, that they would have those complete. And so I think that's sort of the question of, okay, are, you know, is the county going to sort of hold, at this point hold them to, to a deadline rather than continue pushing it off? And is the company going to be ready to apply for permits and, and go through reviews? And then once that starts, if that starts, are they going to meet the standards that the county sets to continue operating there. Daniel Beekman is a reporter for the Seattle Times. Thank you so much, Daniel, for your time. Thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. 
We reached out to both Muckleteo School District and Mountain Loop Mine for statements. Muckleteo had no further comment, but Mountain Loop just got back to us. They said in part that, quote, there was no intent to take any action against the district or threaten employees and add that Mountain Loop employees, quote, have felt harassed and there have been false have been false accusations regarding property damage and other activities. We'll have their full statement on our website, KUW.org slash Soundside. Thanks for listening to Soundside. And hey, this show is only possible because listeners support us. If you are able to give right now, check out the show notes for a link to donate. And don't forget, you can listen live on KUOW 94.9 FM Seattle at noon and 8 p.m. Monday through Thursday or anytime online at KUOW.org. Seattle in the 90s. A tidal wave of iconic music roars out of this sleepy city and launches a pop culture revolution. Here's a story you haven't heard. Let the Kids Dance is a new podcast about the rise and fall of Seattle's teen dance ordinance, the law that made it illegal for young people to go to concerts. A story of moral panic, grassroots activism, and an unstoppable music community that fought for its freedom. Listen to Let the Kids Dance from KUOW and the NPR Network.